Good evening. The um, second Bible reading from tonight comes from Romans chapter 13, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 7. Um, If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 1189. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good evening, friends. Uh, Pete started off with a challenge. Try to remember something from last week's sermon. I preached last week's sermon, and that was a challenge to me. But I'm glad there was some discussion. Uh, but today in our passage, there will hopefully be quite a lot of discussion that will continue afterwards because it will raise a fair bit of questions, especially in our cultural climate. Uh, but let's uh, turn again to the Lord and ask him for his help. Let's, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us words to live by, words to know you by, words for our good, and words that will help us honour you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the big question for us tonight is, what is meant to be our relationship as Christians with the government? How are we Christians meant to relate to the government? This question, perhaps now more than ever in my lifetime, in our current cultural climate, is a very important one, especially now as Christians, especially with the recent changes we've seen in our state, in our country, the legalisation of same-sex marriage, euthanasia laws, okay now in Victoria. And so how are we meant to relate to the government? Now, many of you would know that I came to Australia with my parents as refugees. I came, arrived when I was one years old. My parents were one of those boat people who left Vietnam uh, decades ago, escaped Vietnam in 1979 getting away from the communist regime in search for a better life, a a freer life. Uh, Two million people left as boat people from Vietnam. Up to 20% of those died at sea, so that's about 400,000. Our boat, uh, in the kindness of God, ended up on this Indonesian island where I was born in this refugee camp. And in the kindness of God, our parents did get away safely. And now we have a life in Australia, where we enjoy much freedom. But with a government like that, our parents fled. 
But what about a government like ours here, a democracy? How are we as Christians to relate to our government, or any government for that matter? Do we flee? Do we subvert? Do we cooperate? And what if it is a government where Christianity is illegal? What if for being a Christian, for simply being a Christian, you get fed to the lions? What do you do in such a government? What if simply for being a Christian you get nailed to crosses? What if simply for being a Christian you get covered in tar and you get set aflame and lit like torches for the night? Now that might sound extreme. What government would do that? But that was in fact what happened in the first century to the first Christians. Tacitus, a Roman senator and historian, he recorded this after the great fire that almost destroyed Rome in 64 AD. Nero, the emperor at that time, he blamed it on the Christians. He accused the Christians for setting the fire, for starting the fire, and that started widespread Christian persecution, widespread state-sanctioned Christian persecution. And Tacitus, he, he, record, he recorded this. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames. These served to illuminate the night when daylight failed. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Christians set alight and set up like torches in the night time. And for much of the first 300 years, Christians were persecuted by the state, by the Roman state. And so how are Christians meant to relate to the government, even in the most extreme case? What type of citizens are we meant to be? Now, those examples are extreme. It was, in fact, in that context that Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter while the Roman Empire was in power. And so as we read this passage today, it, in fact, applies in the most extreme of cases. And so what did the Apostle Paul teach? Well, keep your Bibles open. We'll work our way through these verses. Well, what Paul teaches here might come as a big shock to us, given that Christians were persecuted. But he claims here that all authority on earth is God's authority. All authority derives from God and therefore submit to authorities. And so my authority that I have as a parent, as a pastor, that comes from God. The authorities of your bosses and managers, that comes from God. The authorities of our local councillors, of the local members of parliament, of our prime minister, of presidents, of even kings, they all come from God. That's the point Paul is making. All authority comes ultimately from God. And so because all authority is from God ultimately, then authority itself is in fact not a bad thing. It is a good thing. Authority is good. It is how God has ordered society so that those who are given authority, they have the responsibility to serve. And so parents are here to serve our kids. 
pastors are to serve their people. Local ministers in parliament are to serve their constituency. Our prime minister, prime minister, the first amongst servants, he is the greatest servant in our land. He is meant to serve our nation. I mean, that's why they're called ministers. It's a Christian idea. They are there to serve. But in our society, there is this sentiment of being anti-authoritarian. Now, we just hate authority. We don't like authority. Maybe because that is from bad experience. But our default position as Christians must be that authority is good. Because all authority ultimately is from God. Is that shocking to hear? We are to respect authority. We are to give honour to authority. And so if there's a proper way to address our politicians, the honourable, we address them that way. If there's a proper way to address royalty, if we get to see them, your majesty, we address them that way. And so for Christians, especially Christians, we must show utmost respect to those who are above us. You see, I myself, I'm a man under authority, and I need to show respect to those above me in society and also in the Lord. And because all authority is God's, we not only respect authority, but we are called here by the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was writing this when the Roman Empire was in power. We not only respect authority, but we are to submit to it. And so whatever we think as Australians, whatever we think as Melburnians, of our Premier, he is still our Premier. We submit to him. Whatever we think of our Prime Minister, he is still our Prime Minister, and so we submit to him. You see, there is this culture that has been creeping in, especially over the last federal elections, both here and overseas, where politicians, they just badmouth each other. I mean, worth listening to, I reckon, worth listening to some of the concession speeches, the speeches of those who lose the election. The great men and women, the great leaders, in fact, are those who are humble enough to recognise that they lost and they congratulate the winner and they submit themselves to the winner. They put themselves under the authority of the winner. That is great leadership. But in both our previous uh, federal elections here in Australia and even at, in the US, I, I listened to the concession speeches and they were, in a sense, pretty terrible. Showed not much humility at all. When President Trump won, we know how big that deal was, people held up signs saying, not my president. And that's not what we're called to do, especially us Christians. We can always disagree with those above us. Of course we can disagree but we never show disrespect. And so for the Christian, we give honour, we give respect to those above us. We submit. Now the word submit means we actively, voluntarily put ourselves under. I'm actively choosing to submit to those above me. It is the total opposite to think I am passively subjugated by those above me. It is not a passive thing but an active thing I do. I actively, voluntarily put myself under. And so we see that in verse 1. Have a look with me. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, no authority whatsoever, except that which God has established. 
the authorities that exist have been established by God. Now just imagine that. Consider that for a moment. All authorities, every single authority there is on earth is because of God, which means nothing escapes God's power and control. The invisible powers, they belong to God. And if you reflect on that for a moment, that should bring great comfort to us who are Christians. We need to remember here that Paul was writing in a context where the governing authorities were pagan worshippers and did not like the Christians. But he says to them, submit to them. Do not usurp them. Look at verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You see, those who rule the world, those who are in government, those who have power over the citizens of this world, they are really just God's agents to keep order in this world. Whether they believe God or not, they are God's agents. And so their rules and laws are meant to align with God's rules and laws. They're meant to align with what is right and good and just and fair. And that is why when we submit to them, we are in fact also submitting to God. And if we rebel against them, we are also rebelling against God. And so when we submit to the police officer that calls us aside, we're in fact submitting also to them as God's agent submitting to the authority that God has granted them. And so rulers like our government, they have the police force, we have the judicial system, that's all in place in our country, not for fun, not just to give lawyers a job, but for law and order, for the good of its citizens. And so when you break the law, what do you expect? You pay for it, that is justice. But if we are a good citizen then we have nothing to fear. That is what Paul is making, uh, the point Paul is making here. Look at verses 3 and 4 now. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do, uh, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. Notice there that language, he is God's servant unbelieving pagans are God's servant and it is the same word for deacon they are God's deacon God's servant and then we read on but if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword for nothing he is God's servant an agent an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoing and so all rulers it's hard to get our heads around this all rulers premier Daniel Andrews prime minister Malcolm Turnbull president Trump Queen Elizabeth II are all God's servants. Now, of course, not many of them know that. Not all of them know that, but they are. In fact, many of our world leaders are anti-God and anti-Christian. But whether they know it or not, they have been placed there by God. That is how sovereign God is. They derive their authority from God. And they will be held accountable to God whether they know it or not. Now, I don't know about you, but that should bring us great comfort. You see, not an inch in this world God does not control. And so whether leaders are good or bad, kind or wicked, just or evil, 
they will all have to face God one day and give account. Hitler, Pol Pot, Stalin will all have to face God one day just like every single soul. Now some of our rulers understand this. It's in fact quite well known that our queen, Queen Elizabeth II, is a devout Christian woman and she understands that her crown is given by God. Now how do you learn about the queen? You watch The Crown on Netflix. And that's what I did. I'm sure much of it is true. But there is this scene in this show, The Crown. Before Queen Elizabeth was coronated, she was told this by her grandmother. Her grandmother said to her, The monarchy is God's sacred mission to grace and dignify the earth. Monarchy is a calling from God. That is why... You are crowned in an abbey, not a government building. While you are anointed and not appointed, it's an archbishop that puts the crown on your head, not a minister or public servant, which means you are answerable to God in your duty, not the public. Now, those are beautiful words, aren't they? Beautiful words. Now, whether she said those exact words or not, they're so good she ought to have said it. And I remember watching that scene, I was pausing and playing, because I'm trying to write this down, pausing and playing, thinking, <laughs> Yvonne just wants to watch, but I'm pausing. Because I was thinking, this will make an awesome illustration one day, and so there you go. And so all rulers will be answerable to God for their rule. God will judge them, but what's our job as citizens? Well, our job is to submit to them. Because God placed them there. Look at verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And so all authority is God's authority. And so what does it look like then to submit to authority? Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't let us get away with being anti-authoritarian or being an anarchist, or simply bad citizens. In our country, we have taxes. We've got income tax, business tax, GST. Now, we might all have an opinion on our tax system. Too high, too low. We're entitled to our opinion, but we are not entitled to not pay our taxes. And so especially for the Christian, dodging our tax return is not on. Especially for us who are Christians. Fudging the tax returns is not on. And if we are to show respect as Paul calls us to, then we always remember to respect and address those in authority above us in the way they need to be addressed. Judges, it is your honour. Ministers, it is the honourable. In fact, it's a terrible thing we see in our world, in our, in our society now. Embarrassing, in fact, when politicians, our leaders, descend into childish name-calling of each other. It's just childish. Playground behaviour sets a terrible example for the citizens. I mean, if they can't respect each other, it makes it harder for the citizens too. But here we've been commanded, as Christians, we show respect. We give honour wherever it is due. And so have a look, our final verses, 6 and 7. 
This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And so in whatever society we belong to, in whatever country we live in, whether there is a good government or a bad government, it is the Christians who are to work hard at being the best citizens in that country. Now, why do we do this in the end? Well, we have to remember here, this is important, and that is Romans chapter 13 follows Romans chapter 12. And how did Romans chapter 12 begin? It began in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done for us already. We give our lives, we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your logical worship. And so part of our worship of God is to be good citizens. And that is why our worship of God is 24-7, never just the one day. 24-7, 24-7, even being good citizens is part of our worship. Now, I don't know about you, but paying taxes doesn't feel much like worship. But it is. It is part of how we honour God. And so all authority is God's authority, and so we submit to authority. We respect, we honour authority, because we are ultimately wanting to submit to and honour God. Now, here are the questions. I suspect after a passage like this, it raises many questions. But what if? But what if? What if the government is outright evil? Do we still submit? Well, the reality is, if we think rightly about this, the reality is that, is that there is no perfect government at all. Not one Government is perfect. All governments are imperfect. And whatever the system, democracy, uh, monarchy, republican, they are all flawed in one way or another. And that is because the people who rule are sinful people just like you and me. And that's why we all desperately need Jesus. But the question remains, but what if? What if the government is outright evil and even anti-Christian? What if there is a ruthless dictator? Idi Amin from Uganda, Pol Pot, Cambodia, Hitler, Nazi Germany. Do you submit to Nazi Germany, submit to Hitler and become a Nazi? Ruthlessly get involved in the genocide of Jews? What do you do then as Christians? Well, you see, for Christians, the principle is clear. All authority is God's, and therefore there is a greater high authority always. A greater king always, a greater law always, and we submit to God first always. And so when the laws of the state no longer aligns with God's laws, God is up here, the laws of the state are here. If they move across, we stay submitting to God. We remain under God's law and authority. And so in the case of Nazi Germany, the state has really gone beyond their God-given authority. They've moved beyond their jurisdiction. They were meant to be under God, but they've moved over here. And so if the government gets you to kill an innocent citizen because of their race, because they're Jewish, 
Well, you submit to God's law. You don't do it. Send them to concentration camps? Well, no, you submit to God first. Push them in and lock them into gas chambers? Well, no, you submit to God first. You fear God more than you fear the state. Now, of course, the reality was during Nazi Germany, not many Germans knew exactly what the Nazis were doing, but many did. And so during World War II, there were many who submitted to God rather than the state. There are stories after stories after stories of people who cared for, who smuggled out the Jews and suffered for it, even lost their lives. Many Christian professionals saved their Jewish colleagues, smuggled them out of the country. In many Polish cities and towns, Polish Christians concealed their Jewish neighbours. A particular lady, Zofia Benika, rescued over 50 Jews in her home. But you see, the principle is clear, isn't it? The authority of the state comes from God and it's meant to align with God. But when they go over here, we remain under God. There is always a higher authority than our state, and that is God's authority. And so what do you do then if a government is evil and even anti-Christian? Well, we do what Christians must. The command at the beginning here is we submit where we must. Even under Nero during Paul's time, the Christians then were called to submit. And so today... The default position is to submit, and perhaps submit in more areas than we'd like, like paying taxes, like not speeding. But then we refuse to submit when it does not align with God's laws, when it does not align with God's ways, and we willingly bear the consequences of the state for it. You see, if you choose to align yourself with God while the state says to do this thing, well, we bear the consequences of the state for it. In the Bible, the classic example is the prophet Daniel. Worship Darius as God or be fed to the lions. And what did Daniel do? Well, he openly prayed to God. And so he was fed to the lions, but God saved him. But now, now let's think more realistically about our situation. In Victoria, abortion is legal. As Christian, doesn't mean we support it, nor do we endorse it. Euthanasia is legal, but as Christians, we don't support it, nor do we endorse it. Same-sex marriage now is legal in our nation. Doesn't mean we support it, nor do we endorse it, so we are in fact going against the state, and we willingly suffer the consequences of it will willingly suffer the consequences for going against the state. Now, recently, there's lots of chat in our political world about religious freedom. If you've been reading a lot, there is a lot of chat about it because there was recently this submission to, the, to Ruddock about religious freedom in our country. Now, hopefully, from this review, it will make positively clear that religious freedom will remain in our country. But if it does not, do not be surprised if Christians are dragged before the courts because of our position on things like same-sex marriage. We've seen it around the world already. Bakers brought to courts. But what if? That's the question, isn't it? But what if? 
Well, the default is we submit until we can't because we are under God first. Martin Luther, he helpfully said this. He said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. You see, willingly submitting to everyone, all authority, but so clear on where, where our ultimate allegiance lies that it feels like we're the most free people of all. Now, having said all that, this does not mean that as Christians we remain passive, subjugated citizens. But because our conviction is that God is king. He's the king of everyone, not just Christians. God is king and God's way is always best. Then a nation built on Christian principles is a far better society to live in. In fact, a nation built on Christian principles is far more tolerant to live in. It is because we believe that all people, despite what you believe, despite your race, your nationality, all people are made in the image of God. I mean, Christians are called to even love their enemies. And so a nation built on Christian principles is a better nation to live in. It is a more tolerant society to live in. And so a nation that continues with Christian principles is a better society to be in. I mean, that's one of the reasons my parents came here. And so rather than being passive Christians in our world, Christians, us, we are to be a force for good as citizens, a force for good. That's in fact how Christianity survived even when it was persecuted during the Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire. And that's why Christians still survive today in so many, many countries where they are persecuted. You see, in the ancient world, the Roman Empire, the Roman world was brutal. They had no resource in their ethic to love sacrificially. It wasn't part of their core beliefs. And so when plagues in the first century and in the second century wiped out about a third of the empire, people were dying all over the place. The pagan world, what they did was they left their sick to die on the streets. They would get away. They would leave the city and go into the country. They will leave their dead to die and rot on the streets. But what the Christians did was they loved not only their own, but they loved those who hated them. They loved the pagans. They nursed them to health. And they provided proper burials, not only to their own, but also to the pagans. And so because they did that, many Christians died because they nursed the sick. But it also meant Christians had a higher chance of survival because they lived that way. And also in the ancient world, what, what we learned was that there was a huge distance between the rich and the poor. The poor and the outcasts, they were despised. But Christians instead were remarkable in loving and welcoming those the culture marginalized. They were generous not only with their own poor, but with the poor of society. And what we also see in the ancient world, women held very low status, very low social status. And there were high levels of female infanticide, that is to kill baby girls because they're girls. But Christianity, what they did, what we did, was to give women much greater security and equality because of our belief that men and women are equal before God, equal in worth, made in the image of God. 
I mean, it was profound what Paul the Apostle commanded husbands. You are to love your wife sacrificially. That was countercultural. And Christians would express their opposition to infanticide by rescuing abandoned children of Rome and raising them up as their own children. You see, that's how Christianity survived. Christians were always and must always continue to be a force for good. And when they did, what happened to the Roman Empire? They Christianized the Roman Empire. They established then the foundations of Western civilization. That's a Christian thing. Listen to what Michael Craven said. He's the president of the Center for Christ and Culture. It's a bit long, but it's worth listening to. These early Christ followers did not organize special interest groups or political parties. They never directly opposed Caesar. They didn't picket or protest or attempt to overthrow the ruling powers. They didn't publicly denounce or condemn the pagan world. Instead, they challenged the ruling powers by simply being faithful, alternative presence, obedient to God. Their most distinguishing characteristics was not their ideology or their politics, but their love for others. They lived as those who were once again living under the rule and reign of God, a sign and foretaste of what it will be fully when Christ returns. You see, Christians were a force for good, so much so that the pagan emperor, Julian the Apostate, he complained about this. He complained to his own people and said, why are the Christians loving the pagans more than our pagans do their own? He couldn't understand it. And in the end, he couldn't stop Christians being a force for good and changing the culture, but also the empire. And Michael Craven, he said this, Emperor Julian clearly saw the writing on the wall. The Roman Empire will not succumb to political upheaval or force, but to love the love of Christ. Julian's dying words in AD 363 were, Visiti, uh, visiti? I don't even know how to say that, Galilee. I was just pretending there, which means you Galileans, the Christians, have conquered. And so Christians continue to be a force for good throughout the ages, throughout the centuries. We see evangelical Christians, evangelical, that is our type of Christian, like William Wilberforce, Bible Christians, who worked so hard to abolish slavery and that changed the world forever. It is the Christians who gave the world hospitals and charities and schools and universities. Pretty much every private school we see here in our state. Christian beginnings. Ivy League universities in the states. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Christian beginnings. Red Cross, the Salvation Army, YMCA, World Vision, and even RSPCA had Christian roots. But in the end, why be, such a good, uh, why be such a force for good? Why did Christians live that way and have that much influence and must continue to do so? Well, ultimately, it is so that the gospel might go forth and bring salvation. We are to be a force for good so that the gospel might go forth and bring salvation to this desperate, dying world. 
There's only one message that can save. There's only one Christ who can save sinners and bring them to eternal life. There's only one Lord of all. And so Christians are to be a force for good so that the gospel might go forth. Now, the other week I had the wonderful privilege, I couldn't believe it really, the wonderful privilege of having lunch with the former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson, who was just sitting next to me, and we had a, a long, wonderful chat. He's a wonderful Christian man. It was a little gathering of Christian leaders in our city uh, so that we might hear from him of the state of our current situation in Australia of religious freedom. Now, one point John Anderson said, which he repeated at the men's convention that night as well, was that if we Christians believe that the gospel is not just good for us, but it is good for everyone, and that everyone needs to hear about Jesus and be saved, that is their greatest need, then we are to be a force for good, to do what we can legally, peacefully, diplomatically, to keep the window open for the gospel to remain in the public square. Do all we can to keep the window open so that the gospel might remain in the public square. Because, you see, the gospel is not just good for us who are Christians. It is good for everyone. Now, given that our parliament still starts with the Lord's Prayer, that should be a good reminder to all of us, to our politicians. And my parent, they left a nation that is anti-Christian, still is. And they've arrived here to a, a nation that was built on Christian principles. But if we watch and see, that is being lost. And so we need to remain a force for good. And so in the end, how are we Christians meant to relate to the government? Well, our default position is to submit. But we continue just like our forebears, to be a force for good, that the gospel might go forth, that is the aim, and continue to change this world for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this world belongs to you. You're the King of all and the Lord of all. And you still love this world and that every authority that is in this world has been given by you and will be held accountable to you. And so we pray that you might remind us of our duty to our state, but ultimately of our duty to you, that we might live such good lives as citizens with such force for good that the gospel might continue to go out and win more and more souls for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. It's such a challenge, isn't it, to think about how we interact in our society.